introduce the series really more than anything else, so I just want to draw our attention to some things that we'll probably cover in more detail in the coming weeks. And the title this morning is, What You Don't Know Is Hurting You. I can remember, I don't know how many years back, I think I was my late 30s, 38, 39, and somehow I was prompted, and I... My memory is getting worse and worse as I get older, but somehow I was prompted by someone or something that I needed to go visit a dermatologist and have them just check you out, you know. If I have any decent memory, it probably had to do with this pretty good-sized mole I have on my knee that's been a lifelong feature. I can remember traveling in the car with my family as a kid, and if a fly was loose in the car, we had a dog would travel with us. That dog would bite me in the knee, I don't know how many times, because he thought the fly had landed on my knee. Uh, So the older I've gotten, you know, that that mole has begun to do things that it shouldn't be doing. And so, you know, you're supposed to pay attention to your moles. You know, there's the ABCs and whether it changes and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm I'm thinking I probably went in for that, uh, somebody suggesting that. So I show up at the dermatologist and... Show them my mole. And, you know, if you visited a dermatologist, you get familiar with this occurring over and over again because you prove when you go in that you are not a dermatologist (laughs) and that you don't know what you're talking about because you go in and say, hey, doc, what about this? And and notoriously, doc turns around and says, no, that's not an issue. But this over here, (laughs) like it's a couple of spots on my arms and so they take that stuff out, freeze them off. They call it burning it off, but it just freeze it off. And Okay, a little spot on my face here. Okay, you know. You should probably come back every once in a while. That's all I did. Well, you guys know the story. Um, fast forward to 2009. I am working in my backyard. It's been a few years. It's probably since I've been to a dermatologist, but I'm working in the backyard. And something's broken in the pool. I have to get in it. So I decided I'm going to take my shirt off. And, you know, I, I know I'm white. You know, all you guys that got color, I know what color I am, okay? Um, and when I take my shirt off, you know, I could probably get a job as a lighthouse. You know, if I just would have <laughs> just turned like that, you know, the amount of reflection is profound. So I don't normally do that, but, you know, I needed to get in the pool. So I got in, and I was maybe 20, 30 minutes in the pool. And, you know, white people attract sunlight. There was probably a brownout in your neighborhood. There was probably so much sun being attracted to the back of my yard. And I got cooked in just a short period of time. So I spent the next several days uh, with sunburn. I've had profound sunburns in my life, and they are those things that I stay away from now severely and get on the verge of questioning the existence of God when you have one. I mean, just the pain of it is, God, how can you be letting this happen? Um, well, a month goes by, and there's this spot right in the middle of my back. It's not healing right, and it's, it's hard. It's growing weird. And so I'm thinking, I should go to the dermatologist. So I do. I go in. say, yeah, I have this spot on my back, and I'm concerned about it. You know, can you check it out? And, of course, what does the dermatologist say? If you've been to the dermatologist, you know what the dermatologist says. No, that's not a problem. But that spot on your arm. <laughs> it's like, again, wrong diagnosis. On my part, and doctor comes and says, I'm concerned about that. We should, I think we need to biopsy that. I'm clueless, right? I'm thinking it's a little red dot. I mean, you've burned it off before. 
burn it off again. No, we need the biopsy that. So, of course, they send it off. A couple of weeks later, uh, I get invited back to an appointment where they tell me you have invasive malignant melanoma, which I only learned that was the best it was ever going to sound to me in that moment. After that, it would take on horrible sounding proportions. And, you know, in that moment, there are a couple of things that, that are just profoundly stick out for me. One was the sovereign care of God. And, and you know, that quickly ran through my mind, sitting in the office, hearing them say that, and realizing I wouldn't have come in. I would not have made that appointment had it not been for the severe sunburn in which I was questioning the existence of God. <laughs> right? You have circumstances like that that you're like, oh God, how could you let this happen? Why has this happened? Well, if I hadn't gotten fried that day, I would not have gone in. It was a little red dot on my arm. Didn't hurt. Wasn't raised. Didn't fit any of the classic looking issues. But it was growing into my skin and it had gotten down rather deep and there was concern that it had already traveled. So one was seeing the sovereign hand of God in his mercy on my life through, the, through difficulty, through pain. But the other was kind of learning the lesson that there is stuff in us that's killing us. And with our untrained eye, we don't notice it and we don't do anything about it. And as I think about that, I think, you know, Lord, that describes not just our physical condition, but our spiritual condition sometimes as believers. There are things going on in us that our untrained eye doesn't know to make a big deal out of. And we sort of are misdiagnosing our lives quite often. We're noticing this issue, this thing, the way in which it's existing in our lives, the way in which it's gotten our attention and affecting us. And all of our thoughts go to that thing. And we're, we're like, oh, this this needs to get fixed. This is an issue. And we're praying about it and we're bringing it up in covenant group and we're talking to other people about it. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit has to say, no, no, but I'm really concerned about this. These deeper issues in us that are growing deep in our lives that are finding their way out in some of these exterior categories that we bump into them. But the issues really are much deeper issues. And I, I think we have a great deal of struggle to accurately self-diagnose. I would raise that concern. I raise a concern for me. And I would raise that concern for each of us as believers. That we tend to develop categories that we think, based on our experience, based on our polluted, fallen mind. These categories are very important. We're staring at them. We're looking for the health issues in those categories. And there are deeper issues at work in our lives than the ones that we're perhaps staring at and diagnosing. And we need to go there. We need to spend some time there. So in your outline there, I don't know how much of some of these thoughts I've written out, but this, this series is intended to take us into that realm of our lives, the realm of discovering and diagnosing the deeper issues in our lives that are making our Christian lives dysfunctional. Issues that we hear 
a variety of teachings, whether it's a subject that's near and dear to the patterns of our lives, whether it's a marital seminar that we go to or a parenting seminar or a biggest loser dynamic or, or whatever category, how to communicate, how to be greater in evangelism. And, and we can go after those issues in a very dysfunctional way. It's like we live our lives with something just ain't happening right. We try and put on these topics and put on these issues. We should be doing that. But yet all along, it's like there's something in us that's in the way of that fully developing, of those things actually happening correctly. And it has to do with this deeper realm, the realm of idolatry. That there are idols at work in our lives. And they are hidden and they are deep issues And I think if God were to get the most mileage out of one conversation with us, he would sound like a dermatologist. He would take the issues that perhaps have crawled to the top of our list and he'd say, I'm not so concerned about that as I am about this. And God might put his finger on something of a deep idol that works in our lives. Richard Keyes, in his chapter of a book called No God But God, says overlooking idolatry makes us blind toward our own problems. Naivete about idolatry in Christian experience is like the price paid by the city of Troy as its people happily opened their city gates to welcome the Trojan horse filled with enemy soldiers. Idolatry can corrupt and distort any aspect of Christian thought and life, transforming it into something that is ruinous and death-dealing. That's a big sentence. I think it's way too true. Idolatry can corrupt and distort any aspect of the Christian life. Our relationships, once touched by the functioning idols of our lives, become distorted and become destroyed if we don't do something drastic sometimes. Good things that are in our lives that are intended to be a blessing to us, like money, can become distorted and a source of great destruction in our lives. Success, you know, it's almost as though, I know one of the pastors in Sovereign Grace is working on a book on ambition. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to Seeing it because ambition has kind of a two edged sword to it. It can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. It all depends on how idolatry is functioning in our lives. Now, the answer for a Christian to being ambitious in the wrong way is not to become unambitious completely, to sort of have this lobotomy where there's nothing that drives us, there's nothing that we're really going after. We want to be successful at it, we want to be good at that. It's almost like, well, if you're a Christian, you don't really want to be good at anything. You just. You're a Christian. You know, just settle down. God is great and, and we're just nothing. Um, well, in God's greatness, there should be some room for the greatness of God coming out through these vessels. But, but you know what? That is such a razor walk. Because ambition too often is not about God and His glory, is it? So being successful for the Christian, sometimes is about idolatry. That's a shame. Because it doesn't mean that we're supposed to just not ever want to be successful at anything. We are. Careers. Having gifts and abilities. 
talents that God has given to us. Those are good things. <clears throat> Your ability to walk <clears throat> excuse me, in a career that God has given you. That's a gift from God. Now, how many are going to look back later on in their life with profound regret because that gift went bad? It became all-consuming and it wrecked your life. Your family sat in bleachers and barely knew you while career was this enormous thing going on in your life. Or you compromised your Christianity. You could have proclaimed the greatness of God, but there was constant temptations to cheat people and to do things inappropriate. And your life does not declare God's greatness through that. See, there's good things in our lives that are being distorted, and it is idolatry that does that. Richard Key says, It is this danger of idolatry, the blinding to our own problem, that is the concern of this book. The whole book was written, this is the book is a little old, uh, addressing this. Elise Fitzpatrick, that next quote you have there, from her book, Idols of the Heart addresses a similar concern. She says, This book is written for those of you who desire to live a godly life and yet find yourself in a recurrently disappointing struggle against habitual sin. Right? Can I stop with me right there? Does that phrase feel familiar for you personally? Recurrently disappointing struggle against habitual sin. Can you find your address in that phrase? That's very discouraging, isn't it? Now here's what you're going to do with that discouragement. You're either going to ignore whatever just popped into your head when that phrase gets read because you visited it before and you've gone three or four rounds with it and you always end up on your butt. Knocked out. And so if I were to say, well, get up and get back in the ring. Well, yeah, I did that. Back in, you know, 1997. On my butt. Well, you get up and get back in the ring. Well, yeah, well, I did it again in 2001. Really went after that thing. On my butt. So, I don't even want to go there anymore. So, is there an issue in my life? Well, you know, if I really thought about it, I'm sure there is. But, you know, if... if if idols stay in our lives in an effective way, eventually we shove them as far away from us as possible, even though they're functioning quite strongly. So this is evident when an author sits down trying to address that. This book is written for you who find yourself constantly tripping over the same bad habit, the same embarrassing weakness, the same sinful slavery that you hoped to be free of years ago. In this book, you'll find that idolatry lies at the heart of every besetting sin that we struggle with. You, make, you take a chance when you make a statement like that. But I'm not sure it's much of a chance because I, I think there's probably truth in that. Idolatry lies at the heart of every besetting sin that we struggle with. So if idolatry is a deep issue that is influential in our lives in a powerful way and the word struggle belongs in associating with idolatry. Quite honestly, I think anything in your life uh, that is not a struggle is automatically not in the category of idolatry. I think by nature we'll see that as we study this out a little bit. The nature of an idol is its stubbornness and tenacity. 
So if you're thinking of stuff that, yeah, speed bump, stepped over that, dealt with that once, none of those things got into the category of idol for you. But something does. Something exists in that category. And it is, it is severe. It is familiar. It is functioning and affecting our lives. So given, given the size of this subject, I actually want us to go after this from a multifaceted standpoint. So we're going we're gonna to begin a series this morning, on Sunday mornings. Uh, we're also going to encourage everyone to be reading through Tim Keller's book. It's available in the bookstore, uh, Counterfeit Gods. Tim is an exceptional writer. He's a pastor, pastors a church in New York City. And his insights are invaluable. I just found the way in which he approached this subject the insights that he brought brings us into an accurate view of hidden places in our lives. And he is skillfully given by God to help us do that. So the book is available. We want everyone to have a copy, to be able to study through it carefully. Um, I'm going through it again right now and just finding fresh insights again that I thought I got most of that juice out the first time. Um, in addition to the series that we'll do, and the book, uh, Covenant Group Ministry will be devoted to this subject for the next several meetings. Uh, both from the book, your Covenant Group leaders are going to be either taking from the messages or from the book, or from both, depending on what's affecting them the most and what they feel the strongest would best serve your group. Uh, so you're going to need to be kind of keeping up with where are we going to be at this uh, coming week, what should I have read something in particular uh, to get through what we're going to be discussing uh, and then men's retreat at the end of this month. Um, men, uh, I'm concerned and excited. Concerned because, let's be real, men, there are idols in our lives. And those idols are not only influ influencing and affecting us, they're affecting our families, affecting those we're given to lead and those that we have responsibility for. So idols get a lot of mileage out of our lives. I'm excited, though, because God intends to tear down idols. That is God's intention. So there is grace available. No matter how much we believe idols cannot go away, the truth of God is... God's first intention was to displace idols in our lives. That was always His first intention. And it's still his intention. And so we're going we're gonna to ramp up to that weekend with the study on Sunday mornings and the study through the book. And then when we hit the ground running uh, with that information, I think it's going to make for a very, very meaningful weekend for us to be together and see God do some significant things in lives in a way that perhaps had been way under the control of some things that God's going to break into and make a huge impact on. So... Welcome to our new series. We must have an intro. When you do a new series, you have to have an intro. And I intend to, by doing this particular intro, get all the free advertisements that I possibly can over the next several weeks. So, gentlemen, can you help me with our free intro? great thing about this is you'll, you'll never listen to that song again the same way. And when we play this every week, 
throughout the series. Free advertisement from the Fox people. You know those personal idols, they want to hide, but we get to be reminded we're dealing with them every week. When What's Up Dog and all those guys are kind of talking, we're going to be thinking personal idols. When we ask the question, who's in your top ten, you're going to answer it very, very differently. <laughs> you're going to be volunteering your idols as to who's in your top ten. So it won't be one of the singers. Okay, enough of the intro. <laughs> All right, today in your outline, we're going to answer three questions. We're going to look at a couple questions. One, what is an idol? We're going to look at the unawareness factor that is so common that most of us are unaware of idols. And we're going to prepare ourselves to take a personal idol audit, which most of that you'll be doing on your own. First, what is an idol? Well, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 3, I think it gives us the best biblical perspective on what an idol is. This, is. this is God, remember this moment, this is God bringing the nation of Israel to a meeting with him at Mount Sinai. This is an historic moment. This is the Constitution being signed. This is the formation of the nation and God putting in place what he believes is to be the relationship between his people and himself. And he sets that forth. And this is, this is God's opening line. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That is the biblical definition for an idol. Anything in our lives that displaces God is an idol. Anything that gets put before God is an idol. And most idols in our lives, they serve this functional issue. Because I know theoretically, when I go back and read the charter and the paperwork, God is number one. I can go back and I, you know, I know that in my life somewhere, I sign the document, God is number one. But somehow, that document is, is archaic and it's trapped in the archive somewhere because there's these functional idols in my life that on a day-to-day -day basis, they are rivaling God in my life. And they're affecting me that way. Let's get some help from Mr. Tim Keller. He says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family and children or career and making money or achievement and critical acclaim or, or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill. Secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in the Christian ministry. Now, when we come back in the end and do a personal audit, 
of idols. This quote, you're going to want to come back and visit. Because sometimes idols are in these categories that we thought, you know, those are all pretty good things, aren't they? But yet somehow they can become very polluted and very bad in our lives because they have moved into a location of priority. They're not bad in and of themselves. They're bad in that location. Anything that causes God to step aside, no matter how good it is, it just became bad in your life. And that's what the nature of idolatry is like. He goes on and says, when your meaning in life is to fix someone else's life, we may call it codependency, but it's really idolatry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Ted Tripp, in an article for the journal Biblical Counseling, says, What happens when people who are instinctively and compulsively worshipers fail to worship God? That's what we are. We are designed to be obsessed about something. That's how we were made. We're wired that way. It's kind of like the engineer, the God who put us together. He wired us for worship. So we want to be, we want to overdose on something. We, we want to live in the realm of overdoing it. We want to be way over the top about So we want that. The question is, what is it that we're going to be that way about? He says, we simply worship something else in his place. We get impressed by things, people, and experiences in creation. We get dazzled by idols. Look at Romans chapter 1. Some of these passages we're going to spend a little time in in the future, so I'm just going to skim through them today to get us to think a little bit, invite God into this category of our lives. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. That is the aroma of idolatry. When idolatry is present in our lives, that's, that's what you're going to be smelling. And in our lives in particular, for the sake of the subject matter here, absolutely our lives, but in most people's lives, there is something known about God that we could have honored God as God. But instead, we failed to honor Him as God and we honored something else instead. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were Darkened. Now we're going to take apart the effect of idolatry on a people and we're going to see that that's what happens when we become idolatrous. We get darkened in our understanding. Claiming to be wise, they became fools 
and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Right? This is the heart of idolatry is to exchange God for something else. Something else creeps into a category that God alone was intended to operate in our lives. We were intended to look to God a certain way throughout our lives. To honor Him with a position that only He was in. This is why there's a uniqueness that God occupies a place. And in the Old Testament, that's why the Old Testament people were were said that they were committing adultery on God. Because just like in your marriage, there's one other person in the universe that you share a unique relationship with that you do not share with anyone else. And to do so is is adultery. That's why in the Old Testament, idolatry in the Old Testament was adultery against God. God talked about it. He talked about it in very harsh terms. Verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, one of the things that we will need to do is to adjust our view of idolatry into how it looks for us. Because how it looked in the Scriptures and for them is, is applicable for how they live their lives, the value system that they have. But for us, there's going to be other things that fall into that category. Exchanging the truth about God for a lie and then worshiping. Right? We, we don't tend to use that word worship outside of a religious setting. But you know, worship is adoration. It is profound affection. It is being consumed in our thoughts. It is giving ourselves to thinking, contemplating, and daydreaming about. All those are aspects of worship. So when you and I are not here, and our lives are consumed with something, and we're thinking and strategizing and planning and hoping and daydreaming and wondering what we would do with all that money if we won the lottery. and When we're doing all that stuff, we're worshiping. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to do that? Because there's something in us that really, really wants that. And that's the thing that makes idolatry so stubborn in our lives. It attaches itself to what we really want. Idolatry doesn't come with a gun and put it to your head and say, do this, I know you don't want to do it, but do it anyway. You know, the idol stands in front and just kind of goes, doesn't need weapons. It knows there's something in us that wants this. Now, what makes idols uniquely flavored is we don't all want the same thing. That's why I got a list of idols and your top ten is going to be different than mine. Because factors have shaped your life. You've had experiences. Your temperament is a certain way. The devil's at work in your life a certain way. You've grown up in a certain part of the world. You're going to have a different set of idols than somebody else may have. But nonetheless, there is some idolatry going on there. Lou Going says, Idols are false gods to which we attach ourselves for desired favors. We want that thing to bring us something in our lives that we desire. Our idols help us to obtain what we want over against what God desires for us. This is, this is where the battle lines probably have the greatest amount of revelation and firepower to them. It's when we finally figure out that there's a desire in me for this, but, it, but God's desire is for this. 
The difficulty is when you can't even notice that's happening. When you're not even aware that that thing you want, it's not that God doesn't want it for you. It's just he doesn't want it to be in your life the way you have it. That's a much harder idol to deal with. But I think most of us are aware that there are some things in our life that we so much want. We want to have our life to go this way. We want this kind of a reputation for ourselves. We want this level of success. We wanted to own that by the time we were this age. And, and God didn't have that in, our, in his plan for us. He had something else. And here we are battling with the wise God of the universe over who has the better idea. And we're disappointed with God and God has let us down and, and there, we we're full of tears and sadness because God had a pathway that went this way for us and we wanted this path over here. What is it about insulting God's ideas? What, what, what's going on over here that, that we would stand before God and say, I have a better idea than you? Well, it's an idolatrous desire. It's idols functioning deep and in a big way that cause us to argue with God this way. Now, let me, let me highlight this from Scripture, this second point. That unawareness is common. Idolatry is common. If we're not here today going, whew, I'm glad you finally got around to this subject, because man, i got idols crawling. That means they're going up and down the walls of my life. If we're sitting here today going, gee, I wonder where this will go. Then I'm not surprised. Because we tend to leave this subject alone in a certain way, and that's common. We'll see it in Scripture here. Richard Keyes in his article says, We have, in, in effect... Distance ourselves from the whole idea of idolatry by pushing it out to the extreme cultural and psychological margins of life. If we do not understand the nature of idolatry, we will not be able to recognize it or guard against it in our own lives and communities. It's important that what we do as we move through this series is learn to identify what idolatry really looks like. Because the moment I say, anybody got any idols in their life? You got any idols in your home? I mean, you're scratching your head and going, oh, there was that tiki figure, that Buddha that my aunt brought me back from, and we just haven't had the guts to throw it away because she's going to come over. Um, you know, that's that poster that my kids have in their room. You know, and that, that's where we go with idols. Do we have any idols in our life? And so we've relegated this subject into ancient tribal rituals and people who live on the other side of the world and are summoning up demons by, you know, ritualistic and chanting and dancing and saying certain things. It's like, those are idol worshipers. So what's that got to do with us? Well, we've, un we've misunderstood what idols really are and we are unaware of them. But we're in good company with those who are unaware of idols. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. God speaking correctively to the people of Israel says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. Remember, that's what that's at the heart of idolatry is the dishonoring of God. It is to lower God's position to another level. Now, the only reason why we dethrone God is so that we can enthrone something else. Nobody dethrones God without cause. So we dishonor God and we dethrone Him in aspects of our life because we want something else 
to be in a more prominent position. We're convinced that there is such good for me tied up in that thing that if I, could, I, I don't want God out of the picture. Don't get me wrong. Right? None of us want God to completely step aside. When we go after our idols, we don't sit down with God and say, God, I'm, I just need to inform you that this will be our last day together. I'm, I'm going to need to ask you to move out. Nobody does that when they go after their idols. They just expect God to move over. It's a big sofa. God, move over. Something else that's really important for me right now. Of course, now none of us say that either, which is one of the reasons why we're a little bit ignorant when God comes and shows up and says, Hey, where's my honor? What, what happened to me holding the place of great honor? Right now, how do these guys respond? God says, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. But you say, what? How, how have we despised your name? Right, if you read the whole book of Malachi... You really get introduced to a bunch of clueless individuals. They ask the most ignorant questions of God of anybody in any book in the Bible. God clearly comes and explains, here's your condition. And, and I think three times in the book they go, huh? What do you mean? You're robbing me. We're robbing you? What do you mean we're robbing you? What do you guys, what's he talking about? God, what do you mean? I mean, here's some people who think we're on good terms. I have no idea what you're talking about. What do you mean we despise your name? God, come on, you're still on the sofa. I don't understand. <laughs> Clueless, right? Turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 7. Verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates. To do what? To worship God. You do see that, right? These guys are going about. God is still on the sofa. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is a temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Right? There was something magical for them about the temple of God that they thought, hey, if we're here, it's like a good luck charm. God's with us. God's on our side. I mean, hey, don't worry about it. We're good. You know, I'm a Christian. Look down in verse 8. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. And you can run around and say, the temple of the Lord, all you want. It ain't doing anything for you because you've got issues. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely? Make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations? This is, this is the shock of God. Not that he's surprised that man is capable of this, but that you keep coming. 
as though you can have me in your life and have something else rival me. And I'm going to be okay with that. Did, did you forget where I began the conversation with you? I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. Listen, God starts the conversation there. That's not ten years of warming up to getting to know Him. Welcome to Mount Sinai. You've been in slavery for over 400 years. Welcome to the day that we sign the agreement. Let me get something straight. Number one, I'm your God. And you're to let nothing else ever be God in your life. So here's a people who have become clueless because their lives are filled with stuff like this. They steal, they murder, they commit adultery, they swear falsely. You know, when you say you're going to do something, you don't. They make offerings to Baal. I mean, some of this other stuff we could kind of like say, well, you know, basic human behavior. And I got problems. But they, they actually are making offerings to a Canaanite deity named Baal. And they go after other gods. And then they come to church. And God shows up and says, where's my honor? And they're like, huh? It's not unique, right? Malachi, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel chapter 14. Right? How many of us have lived life this way? I can, this was a real revelation to me after I read the Bible. It wasn't a revelation to me when I was a teenager before I knew God and I was vandalizing the neighborhood. Because I actually do remember on one such occasion, we used to like to vandalize moving vehicles with people in them. Which was a challenge, because what you were really after was the chase. Because you know what I mean? Any idiot can vandalize a car with no one in it. What challenge is that? What's the car going to do? Start up and chase you? But if you're really brazen, you go after the cars that have people in them as they drive by, because then they come after you. And the adrenaline rush is on. On one such occasion... I managed to find a better hiding place than the friend who was with me. And I watched him get beat up in the street by the guy who got out of the car. This guy was a little too young and a little bit too agile. So when he caught my friend, he beat him, he beat him right in the street. And I hid in the bushes <laughs> and prayed. In that moment, I am negotiating with God because I'm feeling like this may not be that good a hiding spot. I could be next. So I'm praying. I'm, I'm asking God for stuff here. I'm trying to work the deal here. So how many of us, honestly, in our lives, we're involved in some form of sinful pursuit and we know it. But we'd still like God's input. <laughs> Can you laugh with me? That's ridiculous. God, I have every intention on doing this. But I really would like to have your input on it. Oh, I, 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 you know, wire yourself, ground yourself. I don't do something safe in that moment. We should be struck by lightning. 
Ezekiel 14, verse 1. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. Right? This is Ezekiel the prophet. And here come the elders of Israel coming to seek God through the prophet. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their eyes. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? <laughs> Therefore speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. Here are guys practicing sin and worshiping in their own hearts something in the place of God, but yet they've come to ask God something. Can you, can you spell the word ignorant? Clueless? Tim Keller says, in Ezekiel 14.3, God says about the elders of Israel, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. Like us, the elders must have responded to this charge. Idols? What idols? I don't see any idols. God was saying that the human heart takes good things, like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. That's an excellent way of seeing that. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we attain them. Remember, that's a clue as to our whole study here. We go after idols because we believe they can give us something. Something that we think we need. It may even be something that we really do need. Listen, we're doing, we're doing business with idols. You don't just have idols in your life. You're doing business with them. You want idols to produce goods and services in your life. That's why we allow them to stay. And the problem with these idols, and even the problem with ignorance about these idols, is whether or not we know they're there, they still harm us. Right, Jeremiah 7, verse 6, spoke of God's people going after other gods to their harm. When God was correcting them and telling them, amend their ways, he said, you are going after these other gods to your harm. This is something that we're going to look at carefully. Idols harm us. We think they're going to benefit us. They don't benefit us. They harm us. And whether or not we know that they're there or not, they still harm us. Listen, if I had never had a pathology report come back and tell me you have malignant melanoma growing into your body, that didn't mean it wasn't going to harm me. You know, not knowing something doesn't protect me from it. Well, I just don't read the label on the side of the cigarette box, so, you know, I'm good, you know. No, I've never heard of it that gives you cancer. No, never know, I don't know anything about that. What, you think not knowing that protects you? 
It's still going to run its course. It's still going to do in your life what it does. Idols, whether we know we have them or not, they're harming us. They're doing their thing in our lives. So we would be wise to be able to identify them and not suffer the harm. It's an interesting little thought right here. Richard Keyes says, if we try to make something finite fill the place that only God can fill, we will try to extract an unrealistic level of meaning from that idol. And the moment you do that, game on. He says, when it does not work, it invites us only to try harder. In other words, we start, we're, we're just not devoted to this enough. We're not giving us, if we really go after this, we make it more of a priority in our lives. It should not surprise us in a deeply idolatrous society that books on codependency and addiction form a growth industry. This is, this is why idols accompany addiction. Because we, we pursue idolatry, and idolatry does what the Bible says it will do. At some point, we stop being enamored with the idol, because at first it's shiny and cool and it captures our attention. But then it stops delivering, and, and our lives begin to decrease in joy and contentment. So we're, we're becoming less joyful and less content. But you'd think at that moment you'd say, well, I'm done with this thing. It doesn't work. But yet exactly the opposite is present. We more eagerly go after it all the more. We devote ourselves to it more. We go after it one more time. We change our angle of approach. We go pro. <laughs> Next thing you know, this thing in our life has even more power. And you'd think, well, yeah, but you got more joy? Do you have more contentment? No. What are you going to do? Oh, I just need to regroup and go after it again. No, we could repent and go after God in its place. But there's something about idolatry in us. It's so appealing to just go after it one more time. And we sort of get addicted to idols. This is why idols sit in our lives in a very stubborn way. I'm going to show you that word in a couple of weeks here. All right, well, what do we do here? This is where we move to our personal idol audit. How can we avoid the harm of functional idols? First, we need to identify the presence of functional idols in our lives. So, you know, if I were just were to say, hey, right now, just real quick, right down on the back of your uh, notes there. What's the top two or three functional idols in your life? What personal idols can you identify? Given the fact that when God shows up and says, well, you know, we need to talk about the dishonoring of me that's going on in your life right now and the pursuit of other things. Given the fact that the Bible seems to depict us as going, huh? Idols? No, oh, God, you remember I signed. Look, here's the, here's the document. You were first. You're first, God. I don't know what you could be talking about, idols. We're out of touch with our idols. So I fully suspect that unless we sit down and do a severe audit, we're not aware of our idols. So just based on some reading, I've just collected a bunch of ideas. Tim Keller's book will be exceptionally helpful in this category because he will take us into categories of idols that we thought, ah, yeah, I do see that. I see that happening in my life. Yeah. So the book will be very helpful. That first quote that we went through today would be a good place to start. But, but you need to do an audit. Here's some of the questions that I'd suggest what we're asking. 
What do I not have in my life that if I only had, I believe would make me happy? Are you happy right now? This is, this is a real easy one to, to discover. When you honestly sit and ask, answer the question, am I happy right now? And you say, no. Honestly? No. Okay. What could make you happy right now? And you script that. You're going to discover something very interesting about yourself. Because I'm assuming, I'm not assuming everybody here is a Christian, by the way, but most of us are. And yet, we would have Christians who are unhappy. You already have God. What is it that you're looking for? Because God obviously isn't a source of happiness for us. So, something else needs to be, right? And for you, what, what is that? God has already been shoved over on the sofa. Something else is needing to sit there. For discontent, it's not sitting there. and We'd like to get it to sit there. What do I now have that if taken away would leave me unhappy or devastated? This is a good question for those who battle with fear dynamics. Afraid of losing something in our lives that would result in our unhappiness. What do I have now that I spend a lot of time maintaining and struggling to keep? What is it that I now have in my life that I can't live without? Now, here's some possible candidates. Categories for consideration in the idol category. Idols of insecurity or the fear of man. Often finding yourself comparing yourself with others. Frequently wondering what others think of you. Being around people is complicated for you. You know what I mean by that? It's just hard for you to be around people. Right? And you haven't quite trafficked through. Why is it? Why do I have an aversion for you know, those type of people? I'm all right over here, but those, you know, what's going on there? Anytime you find in yourself a, a, a gravitating towards something aggressively or the opposite of that, just don't get me around that. Just don't ask me to do that. And there's an idol screaming when you say that. Right? And, and sort of, we come along with these quick fix kind of suggestions. Well, you know, listen, brother, God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. Okay? Come on. You just step into this thing and do it. Okay. Hey, that's cool. We, we need people to do stuff. We should motivate. Let's do that. But see, what Christianity does when it turns into cute phrases is just say, hey, let's just trim the edges off of your unavailability. God just is looking for your availability. And you're like, I'm not going there. <laughs> I would be the last person to do that. And we dig our heels in and there's fear and terror. There's an idol there. And if that idol doesn't get a bullet right between the eyes, you can give your cute little phrases over and over again about availability. There's a deeper issue here. It ain't just that I'm not available. It's that I'm scared to death to go there. Why? Because if I failed at that in front of people, are you kidding me? If I thought for a moment people thought I was a fool, you understand, I, I couldn't function. Well, why is that? Well, because I live. Nobody ever says this. I'm taking into the nasty categories of your life. Because I live every day to make people think highly of me. And I'm not good at that. And if I tried that and screwed it up, everybody would know. Hmm. I mean, I've been working on my reputation for years, you see. I stay in these categories because I do them well and people have already told me how good I am at this. So I stay right there. 
I'm just not available for that. Oh, no, no, it's not that you're too busy. Although for some people that might be. But the person who with fear and trepidation says, oh, no, (laughs) I ain't doing that, is protecting an idol, which is really the much deeper issue of our lives. The idol of approval or acceptance. You work hard at trying to get people to like you, to be drawn to you, to speak highly of you. You're very affected if you suspect someone doesn't like you. What do you do when you find out somebody doesn't like you? (laughs) You probably don't have the courage to go to that person and try and fix it. But it's driving you nuts just knowing that there's something about you that's quirky to them. They don't like you. And you take that home and it's kind of like, listen, hey, can I just break news to everybody? Somebody doesn't like you. I mean, if we formed a line, it might take us a while to find the person here. But somebody doesn't like you. They don't like the car you drive. They don't like the way you walk. They don't like your attitude. They don't like how much money you have. They don't have your, like your hairstyle. They don't like the accent that you have. You sound arrogant when you speak. They don't like something about you. And like it's our goal. Oh, I've, got to, I've got to fix that. I've got to go on a campaign. I need to find that person and I need to get around them and say some things and win them. That's an idol that makes us do that kind of stuff. You often find yourself performing to impress others. You've got to bring your A game. You've got to say things. You've got to be impressive. Idol of image or appearance. You could battle with your emotions over appearance related to setbacks. You know, bad hair day, weight gain, woke up, those pants that you hadn't worn in three weeks, no longer fit. The day is ruined. <laughs> right? The day is over. Or we all know. Now, my apologies to all of you who actually do work on people's hair. But you all know, ain't none of y'all know what you're doing. You do know that, right? That when people leave having their hair done by you, they know you didn't know what you were doing. Look what, look, look what she did. You thought it was a great idea, but it just didn't, it didn't take that person where they needed to go. This is my hair, you understand. Everyone is looking at my hair. <laughs> uh, hopefully my little neighbor friend won't listen to this CD. Teenage boy in the neighborhood, gets his hair cut, comes to my house, wearing a hat. He doesn't normally wear hats. So I'm, I'm hip to this. I know something's going on. Hey, what's with the hat? Did you get a haircut? <laughs> sure enough, he just got a haircut. And going out in public with a bad haircut, I mean, that could ruin his life. So he's wearing a hat. And so I'm, I'm just trying to put him in touch with the reality. Is, you know, I said, you know, no one else notices when you get a haircut but you. They're not sitting around saying, huh, you see him? Got a haircut. <laughs> I'm serious. I said, look, do you ever notice when I get haircuts? <laughs> I'm saying, I'm thinking, here's a teenage boy, 45-year-old man. I get them all the time. Do you ever notice me get a haircut? He's like, no. I said, look, the feeling's mutual for all of us. <laughs> we don't notice when you get a haircut. It ain't that big a deal to us. But, you know, you get your hair screwed up. <sighs> And your day is ruined, right? There's something going on there. And it ain't the need for a new hairstylist. 
it's a need for some idol that's gotten way too big in your life. The idol of ease, battling with laziness and a lack of motivation or initiative, avoid challenges, indulge sleep or inactivity. The idol of fear of failure, idol of materialism, right? having difficulties managing your desires for more or newer things and possessions, often shopping or, at a minimum, window shopping. Right? You know you can't afford to buy anything right now, but you just need to see what the latest thing that's out there is. You know, go to the store, just kind of walk around, look, wonder, one day, maybe, perhaps. You know, it's like a junkie. I just, I just need to smell new clothing products. Uh, I'm not going to buy any, honey. I'm not going to buy any, but I just, just need to get around the fresh dyes. You know? <laughs> uh, idol of the fear of failure. The idol of fun. And entertainment and pleasure. This is particularly an idol for young people. You find yourself compromising biblical convictions in order to experience some thrill or form of entertainment. Living to go to the right event or party. Everything is about being at the funnest thing possible. Idols of sexuality. Idols of race. You have an overly lo- overloyalty to your own race that accentuates your dissimilarities from other races rather than your similarities. Listen, you know, before a holy God, we're a whole lot more like the people that we can't stand than we are like him. It's amazing how we can stand before God like, hey, hey, God, we're good. We're good. But, you know, you know, those people, those, yeah, those people. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. You see the news the other day? Doesn't surprise me. Hey, we're more like them. Then we are like him. The question in that moment is, why is God hanging around me? Because I'm that guy that God's reading the news story about. Can you believe that, dude? Him. Yeah. Angels gather around. Look at this fool. That's a more accurate news story. Idols of magic or rituals. This is a small deal to some people it shouldn't be. Involvement in superstitions, good luck charms, horoscopes. All that stuff is an attempt to tamper with your world. It dishonors God. Idols of pride, significance. You're eager to occupy an exalted position in the eyes of others. You're ambitious to be unique, significant, or to be noticed in the crowd. You are self-promoting. You often speak about yourself, your accomplishments, your family, or other things that are associated with you or put you in a good light. You may use name-dropping techniques or self-association. You know, something happened. It doesn't matter even if you are just driving down the street in the next block. That's close enough. Let me put myself alongside that event. And we just don't miss the opportunity to engrandize ourselves. Eager to be known for something. Athletics, appearance, success, position, wealth, being a comedian, bizarre styles. I mean, it's just like we just find a category where I can just stand alone. You know, even if it's, I think I'm going to shave my head and tattoo a hairdo on there. You know. Just tattoo a quaff. You know, that, you know, no one else does that. There, there's stuff in us that's willing to do stuff like that because somebody else will take notice of me over that. that that's not just you got weird taste. It's an ambition to achieve something that's revealing something in our hearts. All right, I can't go through all these, but you can, you can see where we go with some of these things. That last list there, what categories are emotions in your life 
would you describe as unhealthy and possibly under the influence of idolatry? This might be hard to get to if we don't kind of find the symptoms of idolatry circulating in our world. This will be noticeable. Here's where you kind of find the, uh, the trace elements of idolatry. You know, trying to find whether there's mouse in your house, you know, little droppings here and there. Kind of gives it away. There's idle droppings in your life. Here's what they look like. It'll be noticeable by the presence of recurring conflicts. Obsessive or fearful thoughts. Preoccupation. Vain imaginings. Emotional weightiness. What's happening when you get under the weight of your emotions? Repeated need for counsel. Topics of great interest in books and messages. You know what? We just run towards certain things constantly because they pertain to us in a way that may be giving away something about us. Right? And you can look through that list there and, and get more familiar with it. Okay, here's what I want us to do. I want us to take this list and get with God over it. Take this list, read through it, let God engender some thoughts. As you're reading through Tim Keller's book, let the book take you into places where it's causing you to say, hey, does that describe me? Does that little line sound like me? Because what you want to do from this list is you want to find out where are the idols in my life? Where are my personal functioning idols in my own life? And this is a wonderfully exciting and challenging thing to do. Exciting because I I think the thing that restrains us, idols are about harm. Honoring God as God is about joy and freedom in the Holy Spirit. So the degree to which we get rid of idols and, and enthrone God in these categories opens the door for the Spirit's fruit in our lives. But remember, these things are in our lives because they are stubborn and they are effective. And they're not going just because we listened to a message today. They're not going when you finish the last page of Tim Keller's book. This is going to be a war. But there's every reason to believe God that they're going. And here's what I'd like to see us do. You have a special little card in your handout this morning. It's called Special Bulletin Prayer Force. 21 Days of Prayer. It will take us to the last Sunday in this month. And here's what I'd like to ask each of us to do. Because these are not just issues for me personally, although there are issues for me personally that will take me getting with God and spending time with God significantly. But there are issues on this list that we're walking with each other. And others are walking through these issues. People in our covenant group that we know, it's like, oh, yeah, that one there. Yeah, that one sounds like a conversation we just had two weeks ago. And this happened and that happened and then that happened and that was bad. We, we know others. We know this is common to the church. It's common to us. So we have much reason to be praying and asking for God to come with great power power by the Holy Spirit to dislodge these things. It will not be enough just for us to get new information. Everybody hear me? That's big. It will not be enough for us to get some new information on our idols. We're going to need God to show up in an idol-blasting way and give us favor to dislodge and go free. That's why for the next 21 days, I want to ask 
everyone to create on a daily basis a place of prayer where you're asking God and seeking God over this issue for yourself and for the church. So significant. This would be a form of kind of prayer and fasting. So to make room for this in your life, you may have to kick something else out for the next 21 days. You need to be thinking what that is. It needs to be a significant time of prayer for you. So if you're not praying at all, you know, maybe in 15 minutes is going to start your significance. If you've got a little bit of prayer going, maybe 30 minutes. Those of you who have a prayer life, maybe an hour. Every day. Every day. To make this issue become what God wants it to be here. So I'm looking forward to, looking forward to a balloon being blown up. So that when we get to the men's retreat for some of these men, we step in and we lay hands on somebody and that thing is over in that man's life. Over in his life. So it may, take, it may take the next couple of weeks to just get on the field and find out what is it in my life that needs to be blown. I just might need to be discovering that. But we want to see God make some severe headways in this category. So can everybody do this? Whether you stick this on your refrigerator, put it where you can notice it. But every day, make prayer for this a significant thing that you do. So significant that it probably would require you to put something else down. That's what fasting does. Put something down. Put a meal down if you need to. Stop watching TV if you need to. Quit going on Facebook and that kind of stuff. I know. I know. Definitely can't get into a series on idols without mentioning Facebook. Um, Do something that's going to make room in your life. Because I'm greatly convinced and concerned that if some of us heard God speak audibly to us, we might be responding by going, what idols, God? Like we're we're, we're kind of out of step with Him. That He might actually say something to us like, you know, in this area, where is my honor? You, you, You don't honor me in that area. And God would want to adjust it. He would want to amend. He, would want to, he wants to dwell there. I want you to dwell with me here. I want to dwell there. But I'm being dishonored. All right, so let's stand up together. Lord, thank you for the day of divine conversation. Moments when you come and you say, come, let us reason together. Moments when you come and you ask us questions like, where is my honor in your life? Lord, that is a gracious, gracious moment. For Lord, you would be just and right to simply judge us without notice. But instead, Lord, we are here today. You've set materials in front of us. You've set a book in front of us, Lord. You have given us a list to ponder so that we might discover ways in which you will be gracious to us 
to liberate us from the very things that have drawn us away from You. God, in our church, Lord, there are significant idols functioning in our lives. Lord, we have great hope in You and the power of Your Spirit that You will open our eyes to see this functioning of idols in our lives and You will empower us to walk in a new day, free and liberated, God, with our eyes open to who You were meant to be in that category of our lives, that You might be the only God. For truly, God, there's to be no other God but God. So God, give us grace in days ahead to pray, to listen, to ponder and study that you might do a deep, deep work in our lives in this church for the sake of your great name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.